Hey, good morning, River West. Great to see you. Invited to be seated there. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to get in the Word in just a minute, so if you want to grab your Bible and get ready to do that. But before we get in the Word, I, I want to share a prayer request with you and call our whole church to be praying for a team of eight who flew from our church to Myanmar yesterday, uh, modern-day Burma, Myanmar. And if you've been around our church, you know uh, you've heard us talk about a, a ministry partnership that we have in Myanmar with Nopum, who is a pastor who runs boarding homes where children from all over the country come to these boarding homes and they get education, but they also get exposed to the Christian gospel. He's doing a really significant ministry over there. And if you know anything about Myanmar, you know that it's a very volatile place right now. Lots of challenges. Uh, one of the challenges that they're facing in their country is just basic medical needs. So this team is primarily a medical team, uh, and they're going to offer medical care to all the 150 of the students in this home. Plus, they'll put on a VBS and they'll share the gospel. And here's what's happened. You need to know that every member of that team has experienced pretty strong spiritual resistance over the last month which should not surprise us, right? So please pray for them, pray for safety, pray that they get through customs, pray that God blesses them. And what'll happen a little later in the service, I'll lead us in a prayer and we'll lift up that team together in prayer. But what we're gonna do right now is get in the word. That's what we always do here at River West. So I wanna invite you, grab your Bible today. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers are coming now, I want you to have the written word there in front of you. We're going back to the book of 1 John where we've been. And I need to be honest with you this morning that this weekend for me has been pretty odd. It's kind of been a weird weekend. I feel like I've been living this weekend with this dichotomy in my life, a really strong contrast where on the one hand, there's been all these experiences of beauty and love and life. I did a wedding yesterday right in here in the sanctuary and it was beautiful and it was romantic and, and I love weddings because I'm kind of a romantic. By the way, did you see the royal wedding? Did you hear the preacher preach at the royal wedding? How awesome was that? How awesome to see British high society just squirming as the gospel of Jesus was preached. It was so great. I was like, go, I wish I could preach a sermon like that. And it was so wonderful. Uh, so I did a wedding. That was amazing. It was a, a young couple, the bride. She's a, a gal who grew up in our church. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And then later that evening, we sent our eldest off to her senior prom. It's prom weekend in the McMurray household. And Lauren, my eldest, got on her dress. And this young man who I've never met, you should have seen him. I, he got out of the car and he was just sweating when he walked up to shake my hand and he was trembling and his hand was all wet. And I'm like, am I that intimidating? But it was awesome because <laughs> she was home on time and he treated her like a gentleman. But anyway, so we sent her off to do that and it was beautiful and it was cool and it was wonderful. But then in the midst of that on Friday, I opened my newsfeed and like you, I was confronted with ugliness and hatred and evil. 
and violence. And you know, to be honest with you, with the shooting, you know, 10 dead, eight kids, eight high school kids, two adults. You know, one of the things I felt, I know we all felt different things, but what I felt in that moment was my heart fell and I, I just, I was like, I'm so tired. Like how many more of these are we going to see before something changes, you know? My heart ached for the parents because I'm sending my daughter off to her prom and what are they doing, you know? And, and I thought, how many more times will a pastor stand on this stage and have to talk about a national tragedy? And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel hopelessness in that moment. And that was just one newsfeed. And you know what's crazy about the newsfeed? You can just scroll. You can just slide it up. And I did. I slid it up. And then the next newsfeed was a story about a woman who jumped off a building in Manhattan with her seven-year-old child. Did you hear that story? Killed herself and her child. I didn't even read the story. I just scrolled. And the next story, a woman out on a run finds a baby buried alive. And I just scrolled. And my heart, I just, it just sunk. And I was like, Lord, what kind of world are we living in? And you, you, I don't know about you, but I just had this dichotomy through my weekend. Beauty and life and light and ugliness, hate, murder. And, and when you follow Jesus, you live in that. And sometimes you can start to feel super helpless. Like, what can I do in this world, Lord? And you wonder, I don't, know, I don't know if you have felt helplessness like that. I felt it. But can I tell you that as I've studied John, there's actually one thing for sure that I know that I'm supposed to do. God has been really clear with me. And I'm going to invite you to this as well today. But God has said to you know, Adam, there's one thing you can do. You have to do it. It's the, it's the one thing you must do in this world. You have to keep learning how to love like Jesus. Just keep learning how to love. Do that. And so I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm committed to that. You say, will that make a difference? Absolutely, that will make a difference in our world. Can you imagine being a part of a church where every individual is committed to learning how to love like Jesus, what kind of a community we might become? Did you know that's what 1 John is actually really about? Will you turn now with me to 1 John chapter 3? Today we come to a passage, if you'll look in your Bible, it's verses 11 to 24. It's one of two major passages in this book that are totally devoted to love. This whole letter is about love. And what we're going to see today and then over the next month, John's now going to unpack everything that he has to say about love. So over the next month, we're going to talk about love a lot in here. And you know what? That's a good thing. We can never talk about love too much. Obviously, the, look at the world we're living in. We've got to learn how to do this. I want to learn how to do it. And John says, actually, what John's going to say is he's going to say the most important mark, characteristic of a church that Jesus is at the center of, 
the number one trait of that church will always be love. How well they love one another. Will you look at it with me? Right now, I'm just going to read verse 11 to 16, and then we'll finish the whole passage later. Here's what John says. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. Stop there and later I'll, I'll read more. Okay, clearly an amazing passage, an important passage. Have you noticed when you read John that John has a penchant for the extreme? John likes to make really strong statements, really sweeping Contrast. So you'll read John and he'll, he'll make these contrasts, light and darkness. You're either in one or the other, life and death. You're either about one or the other, love or hate. In verse 10, look at verse 10, the, the verse that kind of launches into this passage. He contrasts children of God and children of the devil. It's super extreme. He's like, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And you read it and you're like, man, John, that's so intense. Like, you don't leave any room for, for neutral. Like, is there Switzerland in your worldview? John's like, no, there's no Switzerland, all right? It's one or the other. And here's why John's doing this. It's intentional. He pushes a contrast because John knows that as human beings, we love to hang out sometimes in the area of nuance. I like to hide in there, in the gray. It's safer in the gray sometimes. So John, as a, with a, as a teaching technique, he'll, he'll press us because he loves us. And he'll say, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going I'm I'm to suggest that there's really only two ways about it. And you have to take a look at your own heart and say, where am I? Especially when John starts talking about love right here, love in the church. When John gets to love in the church, he just ratchets up the intensity. He cares about it so much. But you're reading it and you wonder why. Why does this matter so much? Why does it matter so much the way that we love each other? What's so important about this? John's gonna say, well, there's a lot of reasons I'm going to share with you three that I think are right here in this text. Three reasons why we have got, River West, we have got to get good at this. We have to learn how to love each other. And it can't just be one of us. It has to be all of us. And John says this matters. And here's why. Reason number one. Because we are in an eternal 
spiritual relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. John, John says, you've got to keep working on love because, because look around. In fact, just take a minute and look around the room, would you? I know this is always weird, but just look at each other, okay? And then smile. Make sure you smile and be polite. For heaven's sakes, this is a love sermon. But anyway, here's what John's going to say. He's going to say, okay, look around. There's more than meets the eye here. You have to learn how to love because the relationships in this room are deeper than you realize. So what he talks about, it's the repeated, do you notice how often he talks about sibling relationships in this passage? John says, we are brothers and sisters. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. The brethren, that, that's a, it's, it actually doesn't, it's not just about male brothers. It's about siblings. It, it's, we don't have an English word other than the word brethren, which is a weird word, but, but John's actually saying it's, it's brothers and sisters. The Greek word is adelphos, and it means from the same womb. People who come from the same womb. Every time I hear from the same womb, I think of my twin brother. I have a twin brother. His name is Aaron. Many of you have met him because you come up to me and you're like, why were you so rude to me on Friday? You know? He used to live here. And people come up and go, I said hi. And you're like, I don't care to know you. And you just walked away. I was like, that was my twin brother. But anyway. Okay. And we're from the same womb. And not only did we, not only did we come from the same womb, we were actually in there at the same time. All right. Twins learn how to share from the very beginning. But anyway, this is John's thing. Now think about this. John's going to say, hey, River West, the relationships that you are in with each other are far more important than you realize. He's trying to say something important about the way we treat one another. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, as sisters and brothers in Christ, you and I have entered into an eternal spiritual relationship with Jesus, yes, but also with one another. So this gathering right now, it's, it's far more than just a collection of individuals. This is not just a room full of strangers who have gathered to sing some songs and listen to a message. John says, this is a family gathering. And the relationships that we have with each other are super deep, deeper than any friendship. You know, you don't have to be friends to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And not only are these relationships deep, they are long, they're eternal. To say that we're brothers and sisters in Christ is to say, you and I are going to spend a lot of time together, okay? And look around, you're going to spend a lot of time with the people in this room. And so John says, this is why you've got to learn how to love each other. You've got to learn. You know, sometimes family or sibling relationships can be really painful, right? They can be brutal. And now you're telling me they stretch into eternity? Yikes, <laughs> right? It's intense. I, one time I stumbled up, 
upon this little poem. It's a little quip that I love. It goes like this. I've got it on the screen. It says, to live above with the saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know. Well, that's another story, right? (laughs) It's hard to get along. We have to work on this. Have you ever wondered why are we still here together? God says, the reason you're still here is because you need to learn how to love each other because you're going to spend eternity with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And now you can begin to understand why Cain is such a powerful counterexample. Did you notice that? We look at it, verse 12. Brothers, John says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the devil and murdered his brother. Cain was the first murderer in the history of humanity. And here's the thing. He didn't just kill anyone. He murdered his own brother. If you've been around the church at all, you know the story. Two brothers, Cain and Abel, both born of Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us, that Abel was a worker of, the, of sheep. He tended flocks, and Cain was a worker of the land. He was, a, he was more of a farmer. Both brothers one day brought an offering to God. Cain brought an offering, the first fruits of the soil. Abel brought his offering, the first fruits of his flock. And what happens in the story, you can go back and read it, Genesis 4. The Bible doesn't tell us specifics, but in that moment, For some reason, Abel's offering was righteous before God. God accepted it and it was good. And Cain's was not accepted by God. And and Genesis says Cain bowed his head and he was angry. And so he invited his brother out in the field and he murdered him. He murdered his own brother. Wow. My twin brother and I, we got in some epic fights, all right? I'm here to tell you, it was brutal. I never got punched in the face, and I'm pretty sure I never punched him in the face, but we got in some epic fights. And I remember my dad sitting us down one time, and he sat us down, and he was really concerned about it because we would, like, we would thrash each other. It was, it was usually like, you know, I would run by and just slug him in the arm and then run off. And then I knew it's coming back to me, you know. He would run by, wham, you know. And then I'd go into his bedroom and I would tip over his bookshelves and like flip over his mattress, you know. Now I'm a pastor, by God's grace. But anyway, and I, and I knew it's coming later. So he's in my room tearing up my homework and stuff, you know. So my dad sits us down. And my dad, every time he got super frustrated, he would do this thing where he would, he would manipulate his belt. He'd go, ah. and he'd go, you boys, you know, you're going to damage your relationship with each other. And <laughs> my dad, you have to spend the rest of your life as brothers, right? And we would just get in these epic fights, but it never, I mean, the thought of murdering my brother it's like unthinkable. It never dawned on me. And you wonder, well, what could cause that? What could bring a person to that? Well, that's what John says. Look at this question. John says, why did he murder him? That, that is the question, right? It, 
it sounds forth. It's like this rhetorical question. What would get a person to that place? John says, here's why. Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. I think what John's doing here is he's saying, he's saying Cain knew. He could see that Abel was in a relationship with God that was right. He was in right relationship with God. And Cain knew, I'm not. He looked at his brother and he saw his brother in relationship with God that was right. And you know what happened in that moment is Cain felt jealousy. He felt, this is the root, John says, jealousy. And John says, that jealousy can grow and build. And and you get to the point where you see a person who's experiencing things that you wish you're experiencing. And if it grows enough, you could get to the place where you'd want to see them removed. From the picture we go, that's really intense. But here's the thing. I think what John is doing here is he's saying, hey, there's probably a little bit of Cain hiding out in every one of us, right? Just a little bit. You know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I say to you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So part of the point of the Cain story is not just for the sake of intensity, which it is intense, but part of it too is to cause the reader to stop and and reflect and look deep and go, is there, in my own relationships with my brothers and sisters, do I ever get to a point where jealousy starts to... to flow. My own marriage is just, I'm, you know, maybe sometimes you get to a place where you're, my marriage is struggling and I look over there and I see my, my sister and her marriage seems to be so fulfilling and wonderful and I start to feel this, almost like this resentment. Or in my own life, I, I suffer and I struggle and nothing seems to go my way. And I look over there and I feel like my brother, it's just, it seems to be smooth sailing for him. And I start to feel this jealousy and this resentment. And John says, just be attentive to that. That's your, that's your brother or sister in Christ. You'll be with that person for eternity. John says, we got to learn how to love each other. We're brothers and sisters, River West. It's actually really beautiful. It's really beautiful. Can I say something that's sort of an aside? If you came in here today and you have a relationship with Christ and when you came in here, you feel like you don't have a place where you belong, that's actually not true because you just walked into a family gathering. Did you know that? You're a part of our family. We love you. And we're going to be spending a lot of time together. So let's learn how to love one another. Amen? Amen? So that's it. That's number one. Here's reason number two that John cares about it so much. It goes like this. River West, here's what it is. Jesus met your greatest need when he loved you. That's why you should learn how to love your brother or sister, because Jesus loved you. He loved you with a perfect self-giving love that met your single greatest need. That's what John's saying in verse 16. Do you see it? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives 
for the brothers. John, John says, do you want to get to the core of what Christian love is? Do you want to know what the absolute foundation of, of, of gospel love is? John says, it's this, laying down your life. That is the essence of Christian love. Laying down your life. It's actually, the, the, the language is really interesting. It's unique to John. No other New Testament writer uses it. Only John. And at its most basic level, that word laying something down, it just means to set something aside, to let go of something that you've been clinging on to, to temporarily dispose yourself of something that you've, that you've grasped in your life. So in the Gospel of John, when Jesus got up to wash the disciples' feet, John tells us that right when he got up from the table, he took off his outer garments. And the phrase that John uses is he laid them down. Apparently, in order for Jesus to love his disciples by washing their feet, the first thing that had to go was that outer garment. And he laid it aside. And John says precisely, now let me transfer that to love for your brother and sister. Sometimes in order to truly love someone in your life, the thing that has to go is yourself for a bit. Real love, the kind that's beautiful, the kind that changes people's lives, always seems to involve setting yourself aside temporarily so that that other person can get your full attention, your full focus. You're no longer thinking about yourself. You're thinking about them. And there's something about that kind of love that's so powerful and so beautiful. And it's so hard. Yesterday, Bridget and I, my daughter, we were driving. And she was asking me questions about the sermon today. And I was telling her about this part. I was talking about John's going to define love like this and how hard it is. You, have to, you can't be self-focused. You have to set yourself aside and be focused on another person. Lay down your life. And Bridget was like, wow, that's so hard because, Dad, my life, it's the only one I've got. <laughs> I was like, exactly. It's really hard to do it. It's very countercultural. We live in a culture that pumps us constantly with a message. You are the center of the universe. Self-help books are the best sellers in our culture. Self-help, self-improvement seminars, self-expression, self-care. Did you know that self-care is the number one hashtag on Instagram? Self-care, you type that in. Five million posts just about self-care. Self-care, self-help, self-expression, self-gratification, self-improvement. Where does self-giving fit into that list? <laughs> it doesn't. It's very countercultural. And John says, but precisely, do you know what? That's what makes it so beautiful when you actually do it. When you see a brother or sister in need and you say, I'm going to put myself aside for a minute and really love that person. And it's very practical. We look at verse seven and eight, 17 and 18. So John wants to make this practical. So here's what he says. Verse 17. He says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need 
yet closes his heart against him. That language, closes his heart, it's very graphic. Heart is actually, in, in Greek, it's the word splankna, and it's like your guts. It's, it's, it's even deeper than your heart. It's the place in your gut where you typically feel compassion. And look at what John says. He's like, if you, have, if you have a lot in your life and you see someone who has a real need and you for some reason make a decision in that moment to shut down that part of your gut that would normally respond with compassion, John is like, whoa. So he says, how does the love of God abide in you if you do that? Look at 18. It's so practical. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So beautiful. So powerful. I think what John's doing here is he's saying, actually, sometimes it sounds really amazing to say, I love you. I would die for you. I would take a knife in the back for you. And the other person is just is saying, I just need someone to help me pay my water bill. <laughs> you know, I love you. I would, I would jump in front of moving traffic for you. I just need some help with childcare right now. Like, I don't actually need you to die for me. I just need a little help, right? And we can stay up in the platitudes. And John says, don't stay up there. Just don't stay up there. Now, let me, let me suggest something to you. Right now, think about your life right now. I'm almost positive that right now in your life, right under your nose, there is a brother or sister in Christ who has a need, like a physical need. It could be something really simple. They just need someone to to walk with them right now through something really painful. John says, don't just love them with what you say, love them with what you do. You have extra, give, give it away. And you know what happens in a church as that spreads? See, it's never enough if it's just one or two or 10 people, but think about the power when hundreds of people are loving each other like that. Amazing. That would change the world. And you know what? I'm so proud of our church. I, I have to tell you that like when I was thinking about this and praying this morning, I was blown away by all of the different memories that I have of watching you, seeing you do this, love people in practical ways. It's amazing. All I'm doing is saying, let's keep doing it. Let's keep growing. It's wonderful. We're part of a church that is sending people to Myanmar. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ in Myanmar with really amazing physical needs. We are doing our best to love them. We have all these ministries downtown. Today, you're going to learn about an opportunity just to do something simple, to buy a box fan and bring it back. And it's a blessing to brothers and sisters in Christ downtown who, who are elderly poor, who, who live and they need, they need just to be cooled down this summer. You can buy a box fan and bring it back and bless them. But what I want to say is you don't have to go to Myanmar You don't even always have to go downtown. Sometimes there's a need right next to you. And God just simply says, love that brother or sister and meet their need. And then watch what I do in your church. So beautiful. 
Okay, I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, and I'm going to tell you one thing about it. Will you look with me, verses 19 to 24? Because there's one more thing that John's going to say. I'm out of time, so I'm not even going to develop this point. I'm just going to say it and let you think about it. Here's what John's going to say next. He's going to say, hey, when you love someone, when you love a brother or sister, what God does is he floods your heart with confidence and he fills your prayers with power. That's what God does. You love someone practically, you give your life away to a brother or sister and what God does is he floods your heart with confidence before him and then he fills your prayers with power. Look at it. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Sometimes your heart needs to be reassured. John says, if you're loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, you can know. God says, that's, you can know that you're in Christ. So great. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Sometimes the human heart condemns you even when it shouldn't. And John says, God knows, and he, he just breathes confidence into you, even, even when your heart sometimes is beating you up. <laughs> so good. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. There it is. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Did you know that in your lifetime, the single greatest experience that you can have while you're here on earth is confidence when you're in God's presence? It's like the most important thing to be before God and feel assured in your relationship with him. And John says, God wants to breathe that into you. One of the ways that he does it is we come to the table every week and we get the bread and the cup. And what happens in that moment is we're reminded, when I stand before my father, he sees me through the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ his death and resurrection. God sees me and he sees Christ's righteousness. So powerful. But also we have in the bread and the cup, we have this incredible reminder of perfect self-giving love that met my most, my most vital need, the need for forgiveness. God says you have a model for how to love one another in the body of Christ. Just be reminded of that every time you eat and drink. And so we're going to do that this morning as we worship together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I'm going to have you bow your heads, and I'll, I'll lead us in a prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, there's so much going on in this passage. We need to revisit it, and I pray we will. Be blessed by what you've recorded for us. 
the beauty and the power of, of love as you define it, a love that Christ modeled for us when he laid down his life. And Lord, we want, as your church, as we're sitting here together as brothers and sisters, we, we want to respond to the call of this text that we would become better at this, that we would learn and grow. I, for one, God, want to become more like Jesus in how I love. And I pray that in our church it would happen. I pray we would just master this, this art of love. Thank you, Lord. May it, may it transform our community. May it transform our world. We think of our team in Myanmar. And we pray for them even now that their joy in you, Lord Jesus, would shine, that you would protect them, that as they minister for you, they would be safe. Bless them and touch them and grow them, we pray, but mostly just we pray for their protection and safety. Bring them home, Lord. Thank you, Father. And I want to pray, Lord, as we reflect this morning, as we go to the table Help us to become aware of someone that's right there next to us that has a need that we can meet. Lord, may we respond, I pray, in faith. Thank you, God. We love you. We trust you. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.